Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Matt Cummings. More about him in one minute. Hey, it's season three of the OBS. I cannot believe we've made it this far. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. All right, now look, you want your voice heard, right? 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. What's your opinion on what we're talking about? Call us, 847-866-9687. We're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop up. All right, tonight in Chalk Talk, last week an article in the New York Times asked, quote, the Met has voices. Will it need more? to survive check out some things that we think the met needs to do to stay alive but first i'll reintroduce you to tenor and new obs co-host matt cummings by humiliating him in our pop quiz segment cummings plays one of these things is not like the other it's coming up after this and you get all your opera headlines and our hot takes on them in the two-minute drill that's at 9 40 p.m got a great show for you tonight season three again starts right now Matt Cummings, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot, George. Great to be back. Great to have you, man. We were trying to figure out when it was last that you were here, and it was, what, about a year ago? Something like that. I want to say October, November, but time flies. It's probably like 30 degrees cooler whenever it was. You really never know, though, with Chicago. It still could have been 105 in November. (laughs) I just, this is, this is not good. This weather, I, it's freakish. It's like that February warm-up we had last I just don't like it. It makes me very irritable. Yeah, I feel you. I'm really glad that that 100-degree week is behind us, though. (laughs) And knock on wood that it doesn't come back. Uh, Sports, quickly. Bears still suck. They did manage to beat your Steelers. I know. I actually watched part of that game, too. So that's probably why they lost. I'm a bad luck charm. But... Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that I did have to look up how the Steelers did yesterday, and I'm okay. proud of my hometown team that they trounced the Ravens, which we care a lot more about than the Bears anyway. That's a, so. bi- that's a big rivalry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a big fan of Baltimore yeah. and Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, I mean, the states border each other, I suppose. Yeah. And both towns have an extremely gritty feel to them. There must be a name for that when those two teams play each other, like the the... Allegheny Assault. They probably have something. something. I would not be the person to ask. I'm I'm (laughs) grasping at straws here. Uh, Okay, Cubbies, winners of the NL Central. My son is thrilled. My son was like, so this means they're going to win the World Series. I said, look, 
doesn't mean they're going to win the World Series. It means they are in the line to get on the ride that is <laughs> the World Series. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my, my He's getting here. spoiled with last year. He thinks it's going to be every year That's now. what I said to him. That's what I said to him, exactly. <laughs> I was like, look, do not forget this moment. Kids got to stay up late last year to watch a little <laughs> bit of every game in the World Series. So, um, hey, what else have you been working on? So I finished my master's degree at Northwestern in June, and right. I headed down to Arkansas to do a summer program called Opera in the Ozarks which is on this mountaintop that overlooks a big valley, and it is maybe the most remote place I've ever been in my entire life, but it's so beautiful, and you make a lot of really close friends because there is no internet and hardly any cell service. Wow. And we did something like, I want to say, 25 performances over the course of a month of Carmen, Susanna, and Marriage of Figaro. When I think about the Ozarks, I think about Deliverance, the movie. It was... it was a pretty funny little town that's near the opera, though. It's called Eureka Springs, and it's like a big hippie enclave in the middle of the Bible Belt. And it's sort of built yeah. into the hillside like yeah. you'd expect in Switzerland more yeah. than more than uh, Arkansas. But <laughs> what, uh, what shows were you doing? So I did Susanna. That was the main reason why I went back was I got to do Little Bad again yeah. after I yeah. did it at Northwestern. Good old Carlisle Floyd. It's a it's a really potent piece of music, and the people there really responded to it. I think it's because it kind of feels like a movie score. Yeah, it's so lush, and it really feels like they're real people on stage. Yeah, yeah. and then I was in Carmen too, which is that old that old chestnut. Everyone that knows old Carmen. Chestnut, and you were singing Don Jose. No, I was the smuggler. So I came in and did the little quintet and the song and dance number and uh, lurked in the back. Remendado. Remendado, yeah. right? So I lurked in the background of just about every scene. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was going to say, dude, I mean, look, I, I think you're awesome. But like, wow, if you had said, yes, actually, I sang Don Jose, I would have uh, no, been our, uh, surprised. Our Don Jose was pretty good, but he was several years older than I am. So You know, I directed that show this past summer at the Bayview Music Festival in northern Michigan. And let me just tell you. Look, it's Carmen's show, right? She has some incredible numbers. She has a huge character arc. But musically speaking, the role of Don Jose is absolutely punishing. He just never stops singing. And it is so hard. I was really astounded that our our guy did all eight performances. And it it was a marathon, but he made it work. The version we did, we cut it down to 100 minutes, too. We didn't have the chorus. We cut out all the choruses, and, and we were cutting some verses for for our Don Jose's. It was double cast. Did your guy have a... Uh, no, he ended up doing doing all the shows. Wow. And it was a... Any cuts or anything? Uh, some cuts, but it was still a long evening. I, I want to say it was, we cut most of the children's chorus yeah. and uh, some of the development sections of those big ensemble numbers, right. but right. it was pretty intact. What is... Next for you. I am back in Chicago trying to figure out what it means to be a working singer without the uh, the framework of school around. Right. Uh, and part of that's exciting because when, uh, when auditions roll around in November, December, traveling around classes and school concerts gets pretty tricky. Right. So this year, I'm excited that I get to be all in. And I've been trolling Yap Tracker, looking for things that might work. and trying That'll make to... you a lot of friends when you troll on Yap Tracker. <laughs> Young Artist Program Tracker, by the way. It's, it's, it, when I was first getting into Young Artist Programs oh, 10 years ago, it, didn't really, it wasn't really a thing. And now it's like the thing. Everyone is on there from 
community shows to I don't think I mean I don't think like the Metropolitan Opera goes on there. They no. have their own website, but some pretty prestigious young artist programs, that's what they use to to get their young singers involved and to find out about the audition requirements and get their application fees and submit their their materials. It's so, like a central clearinghouse. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Which is kind of tricky because when you're reading the listing, you don't have a lot of context yeah. for for what it is because everyone's on there. So it really is incumbent on the singer to do outside research to figure out what sorts of things would work and would be a good fit. Here's a little tip, by the way. This is not for singers, but directors, conductors, designers, pianists. I mean, essentially, if you cannot go to the Opera America Conference, which is the big assembly of American opera professionals in this country, if you can't go to that, what you do is what I do, which is you just go on Yap Tracker, you figure out when all these program people are coming through the city that you live in, mm-hmm. and then you essentially just loiter outside the various buildings. It's only usually all the auditions tend to happen in one place from all these different companies. And you just you just hang out there, and you just tackle these people as they go in and just, you know, give them your resume. For sure. I've never done the big New York weeks before, so Brutal. We'll, see, we'll see what happens this Brutal. year. I'm yeah. interested. Well, I'm great. Curious. So great to have you back on the show. Coming, uh, Tobias Wright, by the way, he's off uh, working it in Florida. He's not off the show, ladies and gentlemen. We love him. But uh, we uh, we got Matt for a couple episodes this fall, hopefully more than a couple. Um, and we're going to haze you, my man. We're going to haze you with some pop quiz. Ooh, I can't say I wasn't warned. <laughs> this is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist. Oliver Camacho, and oh yeah, Matt Cummings. Got my own little tagline? Yeah, dude, this is for real. Thanks, Norm. Pop quiz. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I had Norm bust that out. Um, we haven't done pop quiz in a while, actually, either. Uh, so here's the deal. I got 10 micro lists here each with four things, and one of those things is not like the other. All you got to do, Matt, just tell me which one of those things doesn't fit. You get it right, you get two points. Okay. If you need a hint, that's cool, but I'm going to take away a point. Sure. So 20 points possible. What's, what's, your, um, what's your goal? Like, what do, you, what do you think? Knowing that, what, do you, what are you going to aim for? So I'm not going to lie. I'm shooting for 20. Wow. But we'll see, we'll see how mean you are. Okay, I had you down at 15. So I, I won't be mad if I if I, as okay. long as I clear fifteen, but I, I'm a perfectionist. We'll keep a, we'll keep a close track on this. And none of them are audio, by the way. We're gonna save the audio for the second segment on the show. Stick around for that. Uh eight twenty excuse me, nine twenty central, by the way, talking Met. Talking a lot of Met today. It's upper box score, WNUR eighty nine point three FM, and you can give us a call eight four seven eight six six nine six eight seven if you want to play as well. Okay, so let's do an example. Sure. I say, Così fan tutte, Le Nozze di Figaro, Di Zauberflöte, and Don Giovanni. So those are all Mozart operas, but Di Zauberflöte does not have a libretto by Da Ponte. It's by Schikanator. And to that, I would have to say, <laughs> correct. All right, man. So here we go. Question one. Gianni Schicchi, Turandot, Swore Angelica, Il Tabaro. So Turandot is not in uh, Il Trittico, the triptych, uh, which are the other three are all one act, and Turandot is three, or two and a half. Yes, sir, you got it. 
Nice job. Two points. Here we go. Ronaldo, Alcina, Giulio Cesare, La Serva Padrona. La Serva Padrona is by Pergolesi, and the other three are by Handel. <laughs> oh, man. Uh-oh. I think uh, Cedarquist over here might be a little bit of trouble. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I feel like I should, I should give you a bonus because you knew that was Paragolese. Uh, we'll, I'll make a little note of that. All right, number three. We're going to make it a little tougher here. I'm just going to give you last names. Okay. Costanzo, Polanzani, Fabiano, Brownlee. So, uh, Anthony Roth Costanzo is a countertenor, and the other three guys are, are tenors. <laughs> my, my voice type, George. I'm in my home field advantage. That's, that's, why, that's why I did it, dude. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, Michael Fabiano, we're hoping to get him on the show, actually. That would be really I'm gonna, great. I'm going to tweet he, him after this show and see if he could do it. Do you, know, do you know his work at all? Have you ever seen him? So I've seen the audition, and I think he's popped up in some Met broadcasts that I've seen. Okay. I can't remember if he's ever come through Chicago since I've been here. Yeah. But... Yeah. He's a great, great voice, and I really like how mu how vocal he is about his opinions and really right. trying to demystify the art form. Plus, he has like uh, a pilot's license, I believe it is, and he used to be a minor league baseball umpire. Man, not sure if I got that right. He umpired at some level in the minors. Interesting. Strange. Here we go. Number four, A Midsummer Night's Dream, The Rape of Lucretia, Albert Herring, The Turn of the Screw. So those are all Britain operas. Right. Midsummer okay. Night's Dream is the only one that's by Shakespeare. Is that where you're going? That's not or? where I was going. That is that is correct. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one for that. Think about the casts. Think about the, the types of people that are needed to play these parts, not the voice types. You got one point. What was the uh what was the third one again after Albert Herring? Midsummer Night's Dream, Rape of Lucretia, Albert Herring, Turn of the Screw. Uh, there's kids in Midsummer Night's Dream and uh, Turn of the Screw. So you're getting warmer here, buddy. But... <laughs> I'm going mm. to give it to you. Yeah. It is, kids. There is a child in Albert Herring. Harry is one of oh, the little... Oh, right, Sis and Emmy yes, are exactly. the little kids. Maybe Lucretia, no kids in that, at least not when I directed it. Uh, well, we'll give you a point for that anyway. Number five, Donna Del Lago, La Sonambula, Norma E. Puritani. Donna Del Lago is a Rossini and not, not a Bellini. Not a Bellini, exactly. I'm... Making me hungry. You got it, man. Two points. All right, here we go. Number six, Orfeo, Faust. Tales of Hoffman, Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. and you would think that Jesus Christ Superstar is the one, but Orfeo is Oh no, Tales of Hoffman is the one that is not being done in Chicago this year. Oh my gosh, dude, you're rocking it. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Did did the Jesus Christ Superstar give it away? Kinda. Well, I, Once you heard that, you knew. I I figured that's where you're going, but I have to say, I want to see every. Oh my gosh, of that. Cummings! I cannot <laughs> wait to see that show. Are you kidding me? I I have literally no interest in seeing Puritani. Oh, I lyric. grew up on that concept <laughs> album. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> Dude, you'd be both. That'd be great. All right, number seven. Here we go. Fort Wengler, Boom, Klemperer, Von Karajan. They're all conductors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. They're all dead. They're all dead. So, so um, far, there's a lot of unity. I want to say that Von Karajan is Austrian and the rest of them are German, but I'm not sure if I'm picking the right one. I'm gonna give I'm you. A, I'm gonna give you a point for that because you got the right thing, but the wrong person. But the wrong person. Which one is it? Karl Böhm. I did not realize that he was, was Austrian. Austrian. I guess because he performed in Dresden so much, I thought that yeah, was where he exactly. was gonna yep. be from. Other guys were German. He was Austrian. Uh, still got one point for that. How you doing right now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. With uh, three questions to go. Here we go. Guillaume Tell, the magic flute. Falstaff, Tristan, and Isola. Tell. You might come up with some other. Hmm. One of these things is not like the other for that set. There's always a couple options, I guess. Guillaume Tell, magic flute. Falstaff, Tristan, and Isola. So. Oh, no. You going to think out loud here? <laughs> so I was trying to see if it was something like the language of the opera mm -hmm. is different than where it's based. Yes. Because okay. all of those are all of those are based all of those are kind of famous about their location except mm -hmm. Magic Flute, which is sort of doesn't really Well, I mean it's in Egypt, Egypt but it doesn't really you know, mean yeah, anything. Exactly. Exactly. And you know the composers, Rossini, Mozart, Verdi, Wagner. But I am so it's not. It's going to be their last opera that they composed, right? Yes. And so you've got a point for that. Technically, I want to say that don't you, don't people usually say that Clemenza di Tito was is counted as Mozart's last opera? Or uh, I would have said Magic Flute. Okay. So, so in that, that case, that I'm going to say Tristan. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, you you got it. You actually you got you got two points for that one. Tristan was not. The Last Opera by Wagner. That would have oh, been Parsifal. Parsifal. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you got that, man. Number nine, just the last names here. Sellers, Alden, Kosky, Newberry. Uh, those are all directors, except Kosky, who I don't recognize. So I don't know who that is. <laughs> but. You're absolutely right. Uh, they all are directors. Barry Kosky is not American. Okay. Barry Kosky is Australian. So that's like, that's like a know, one or a two. Yeah. You're gonna, uh, we're going to be tough on you. That's a one. All right, last one. Here we go. Deutsche Oper, Komische Oper, Staatsoper unter den Linden, Nationaltheater. Those are all in, uh, the, the first three are all in Berlin for sure. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that the Nationaltheater is also, but it's not an opera house. <laughs> You're so close here. Uh, Nationaltheater, it is an opera house, but it ah. isn't in Berlin. Okay. It's in Weimar. Really? There's one in Weimar and there's one in Mannheim. Okay. I would not have known that one. What a so. Mannheim, what a lousy town. I've never been there. Been that's to a, Berlin. That's a, but. that's a crummy town. Weimar is really cool. But, okay, wow. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16. Cummings, you beat my thing. I said 15 for you. 
You, I'm gonna have to say some of those were trickier than they, yeah. than I thought you were gonna go. It's hard to, it's hard to know sometimes if yeah. it's too easy or if it's uh, if it's too hard. Um, hey, after the break, the Met just launched its 2017 season and it's struggling already. We're gonna tell you why, but it's only on Opera Box Score and on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Welcome back to the show. George Cedarquist here on WNUR 89.3 FM, hanging out with one of our new members of the OBS team, Matt Cummings. Yeah, I'm feeling right at home already. Thanks for that welcome quiz. Hey, you're welcome. You did fantastic on that, by the way, I thought. Hard to put those questions together, but it's definitely fun. Hey, um... Earlier this week, late last week, there was an article in the New York Times. This is by Zachary Wolf. Link on our website, operaboxscore.com, by the way. The article says, The Met has the voices, but will it need more to survive? And the Metropolitan Opera season has started with the uh, opening of the season and the gala, by the way. Did you look at any of the photos from the Met Opera Gala? I just saw a couple. I always think it's funny, the... the names of the celebrities that they pull out and they it's uh people you wouldn't normally expect to be in the same sentence together but do you remember anyone i remember one of them is there? one of the girls from girls was there i feel like a lot what? of the time Blythe danner goes to the met opera gala <laughs> who i know from meet the parents she's right. probably done okay. other things too yeah but yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I I guess like the 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 younger like more hip celebrities, I don't know, either don't care or have better things to do with their time, or maybe they're not even asked. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe TMZ could tell us. I wonder if TMZ goes to the Met Gala. Maybe we should tweet at them and see what they have to say. Dude, TMZ, what was up with that dress at Lincoln Center? I'm gonna write that down. TMZ, the article focuses on the fact that uh, there is a subtle yet significant shift, writes Zachary Wolf, saying that the new motto for the Met this summer is the voice must be heard. And that Wolf's point is that means that, quote, the company is tacitly admitting that concentrating its marketing energies on its productions hasn't solved its persistent problem of getting people in the seats, singers, not directors, sell tickets. And it's really what stars are going to be needed to get the Met ticket sales. Met ticket sales about 67% capacity on average right now. Yeah, that's that's and that's been lower than recent years. In the yeah. past couple of years it's been yeah. it's yeah. been down. Exactly. So, uh what's your hot take? Cummings is the success of the Met truly and solely dependent on its star power. So, one thing that I really noticed starting this to read this article was that it was a 
pretty stark reversal from the normal type of article that you read about singing in opera houses, which are is typically some sort of variation on where are all the voices? And I liked that people who are currently singing today got props for their skills because mm. they really are asked to do so many things. And those articles a lot of times are overlooking what the clear talent that we have in the houses. I'll get to my hot take in a second. Uh, talk to us some more about some of those voices. Who are those voices that we should be listening to? So I'd say the big, the big name in this article that comes up and that has been floating around for the past couple of years is Sandra Radmanovsky, or as some people on the internet call her, La Rad, because that's La quite Rad. a name. But she is, uh, uh, she is kind of the big dramatic coloratura soprano who can sing really big and really loud and really high and pretty fast too. Uh, and it, that's a, it's a, one of the rarer voice types. And she has been carved out a name for herself singing roles like the, the Donizetti Three Queens and this year Norma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she started a lot as a Verdi singer, which is uh, a different set of skills. And I have been a big fan of her. Uh, she's she's kind of hometown gal in Chicago. Yeah, true. And she comes back to the lyric every once in a while. And she is a really, she's got a really unique sounding voice. Why don't mm-hmm. we... Should we listen take a to listen a clip to of her? Clip? Yeah, tell us what we're listening to, by the way. So this is a little bit of the finale from Roberto Devro last year that the that the Met put on. It was, I think, the first time the house had ever done the opera. Uh, and it it well, let's let's hear what she has to say. listening to that what are you hearing that's so attractive i first of all i think that she must have a third lung because some of those (laughs) phrases that she does are so long and so spun out and just when you think she doesn't can't possibly sing another another note she makes it really delicate and takes it way back to this really light floated place which in the house feels like she's whispering it right in your ear it's insane yeah Yeah. uh i i am really attracted a lot of times to interesting tone qualities which is what it's it's not as as conventionally beautiful of a voice as you would necessarily hear, mm-hmm. but what she can do with it is insane. And a lot of times, I think that she is able to achieve beauty through through her singing mm. to mm. make up for what well, not even to make up, but to add to what the voice itself naturally has. I mean, I think that was really clear in the Norma that she did at Lyric Opera of Chicago, which was. Stunning. Yeah. I mean, man, her voice is just, just huge. Who else, when you look at the Met roster this 
season. Who else fits into this category of the voices that are going to be, as Peter Gelb has promoted, the future for the company this year? I think that someone that I would love to see more and more of as time goes on, and and I'm glad that we've gotten the chance to see him a couple times in Chicago, is Charles Castronovo. It's definitely one of my favorite tenors who's singing today. And I thought he totally stole the show stole the show of Eugene Onegin last year, which was a pretty outstanding show from cover to cover. And this clip is from This is an aria this is the aria that he sang from Eugene Onegin. Uh, he plays Lensky, the sensitive poet who's about to get killed in a duel with his best friend, Eugene Onegin. And uh, let's let's hear what he does with it. your take man on what you're hearing on that so what he really impresses me with is that i really felt the emotion in his words but i never lost the tone quality Mm. a lot of times i feel like you read about singers who are really singing actors and it's so remarkable that they are willing to sacrifice the sound of their voice for to uh, express an emotion or communicate Mm. the text Mm. and i Mm. totally agree that that's an admirable thing and what I found so remarkable about him is that you never lost the beauty of the voice, but you also, it wasn't boring. It, the, what the voice sounded like changed all the time. What he was saying, which is in a language that I can almost certainly say he does not speak natively. He felt, I felt such a command of the text and of the character that even in a minute that was, I got goosebumps. I can't lie. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. 89.3 FM, George Cedarquist here with new co-host Matt Cummings. We're talking about the upcoming Metropolitan Opera season and their new motto, The Voice Must Be Heard. Here's where I get hung up, Cummings, on this, is that I don't think opera is about voices. I I don't think it's about directors. I think it's about ideas. And I think that what opera is is trying to tell stories through music which express complicated ideas. Because if this art form is about voices, if it's about superstars, what does that say about when opera is done in smaller cities and smaller venues? Does that therefore mean that opera has no merit if it's being done in... I'm going to pick on somebody now. Des Moines. Great company. Great summer festival. Not a lot of big stars. So is it is it worthless there? So I think that you can have 
I, I do kind of feel like this is an area where you can have your cake and eat it too. Whereas you can have really great singers without them being divas. There are great singers of all ages. There are great singers of all levels of fame. And they really are great singers of all ages too. I mean, you can go to a, it, it takes training to be able to get it consistent mm-hmm. is what I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of times, especially in master's degrees, people mm-hmm. are trying to figure out how to make it so that it comes out every time and that you can count on it. And that's more so that you can get out of the way mm. than than for anything else. Uh, Joyce DiDonato actually has a quote about that that she stumbled upon in an interview with uh, Dame Janet Baker, another really famous mezzo-soprano, British mezzo, and that technique is cleaning the glass so that mm. you can see through the window into the music. And I would say that with opera, it's not just music, it's the whole, it's the whole shebang. That is so true. I've been reading a lot of David Mamet recently, mm-hmm. the playwright, and he talks about technique in a similar way, similar way. He says the reason technique exists is so you can get into these habits and get into your subconscious. For sure. And as as a singer, that is definitely something that I, speaking for myself, strive for. And I, based on conversations I've had with a lot of my colleagues, I think they would agree with me. Here's what's confusing about the Met is when you look at the statistics and Wolf points this out, all five of the operas that are in this opening month of performances have been done at the Met in the last five years. I thought that was an interesting stat too. I tried to play a little opera quiz myself and go through and find the five that he said weren't done in the last five years. Okay. Uh, Well, Exterminating Angel. That one definitely has not been done in the last five years. Would be one of them. Did you happen to get any of the others? So I'm pretty sure that the the Massenet Cinderella, Cendrillon, has never been done at the Met. Are you you positive about that? I can't say I'm positive. Wow. It was kind of a rarity until a little while ago. I feel like that was something that people started doing because Frederica von Stade really loved it. And it's a great... There's some great moments in it, too. Right, right. uh, And then... I, I wonder if they're counting the Requiem. I assume he is. Which, yeah, we don't know. Uh, and then the Louisa Miller and Semiramide were the other two that I'm, I bet okay. have been a while. Yes, yes. Yeah, that is, that is fair. I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right on that. Now, the article finishes with uh, Zachary Will pointing out that uh, the promotional materials at the Met say, quote, no other art form so unabashedly celebrates the power of the human voice, but opera is also a vehicle for creative expression for conductors, orchestra musicians, directors, designers, and choreographers. Uh, Is there anybody missing from that list? If you're a composer, I guarantee that you realize that you weren't on that list. That seems like a phenomenal goof on the part of the Met. And this isn't the first time that that's been an issue for the Met either. There was uh, all the... uh the hubbub a couple of years ago about Rufus Wainwright right. uh, and his opera kind of being fast-tracked to the Met because he's a famous composer. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's definitely, you're setting up a false dichotomy if you're talking about only famous operas or famous people composing operas. Right. There are people who have been making their way through the business and have had mm-hmm. new operas that mm-hmm. have been done successfully at other yeah. houses that just yeah. don't ever get done again. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't think Moby Dick has ever made it to the Met or... Uh, a couple other. I don't think so. I mean, Nico Mooley, for my money, is probably one of the more performed composers at the Met in like the last five or ten years, probably. Who's a, a contemporary composer? 
it's it's a problem. I, I mean, again, I just don't think that the Mets' problems are going to be solved by getting in superstars. Yes, I think those superstars should be there. It's really nothing against them. It's really nothing to do with them. It's really about are they going to pick productions? Are they going to pick repertoire? Are they going to go deeper into the repertoire of the roster that they have, of yeah. the repertoire, really, and try and and get those sorts of productions on the stage there? Because yeah, well, it's they're going to be punished if they don't. What I do think they're really lucky is that they have a huge roster of very, very accomplished singers who are willing to do anything. Exactly. And who are interested in doing things that haven't been done before. Exactly, exactly. Let's generalize here and say not, not every singer at the Met is going to want to do the lesser-known rep of the well-known composers, but 95% of them would be like, sure, yeah. Yeah, I would. I'll absolutely do like I don't know the Goose of Cairo, right, or whatever it is, Mozart. Yeah. Um, why would they not? Why would they not want to do something new? If they definitely approached me and asked me if I wanted to do a lesser-known <laughs> opera, I wouldn't say no. And if we wanted to tweet that, we could see what happens. All right, man. Take us out on one more singer segment here before the break. Who you got? One more person we can listen to. So I think that we should listen to. Uh, Anita Hardig, who is a Romanian soprano, and she has become one of the Mets' go-to girls for the um, the ingenue heroines. Like she plays a lot of Mimis, she does a lot of uh, Liu and Turandot, she does a lot of Micaela and Carmen, and I think that's the the link that I sent you. So let's yes, hear a little yes. bit of that. Okay, great. We'll listen to that. Uh, hey, after the break, it's everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week and our hot takes on those stories. It's only on Opera Box Score and WNUR 89.3 FM. From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number, 
WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from Opera Land in the past week in two minutes tops. The Metropolitan Opera, which has continued to struggle at the box office and face what it calls, quote, economic challenges, has offered voluntary buyouts to 21 of its 243 administrative employees, the company said last Thursday. Quote, as you know, the Met continues to face economic challenges as it copes with the changing environment per presenting opera, said Peter Gelb, the Met's general manager. Houston Grand Opera, which was driven away from its opera house by the flooding unleashed by Hurricane Harvey, said on Monday that it had found a temporary home for the first three productions of the season, and that would be Exhibit Hall A3 of the city's convention center. The company is calling it, quote, HGO Resilience Theater. Having built a reputation for bold programming, Fort Worth Opera is shelving one of its boldest moves of all. Citing high production costs, the company has scrapped the Wagner Rheingold that was scheduled for the 2018 festival as part of the cycle. In its place, the festival will present Brief Encounters, a triptych of recent 15-minute operas by contemporary American composers. Overseas, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London has opened a new exhibition, quote, Opera, colon, Passion, Power, and Politics. The V&A Extravaganza offers a journey through four centuries of opera, complete with letters, maps, instruments, paintings, musical manuscripts, and set and costume designs. And on this day, or should I say tomorrow, actually, I'm a day early, October 3rd, there was the birth of Ming Cho Lee, the Chinese-American set designer, death of Malcolm Sargent, English conductor, and in 1888, the premiere of The Yeoman of the Guard by Albert... Excuse me, Arthur Seymour Sullivan. Hey, that's your two-minute drill. Welcome back to Opera Box Score with George, Oliver, and Matt. That's what's in your ear holes right now, Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist with one of my new co-hosts, Matt Cummings. Tobias Wright in Florida, quote, working... Yeah. Dude's such a liar. <laughs> I He's just full of it. What can I say, George? Now, Oliver Camacho, he's off as well. Oliver is actually working. I don't think Oliver sleeps. And that, I'm not trying to insult him. He's he's very good looking, but he just, that guy's so busy. Yeah. If that That's that's really the life of an artist, even in Chicago, where the rent is payable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, hey man, where do you want to start on two minute drill here? Maybe we should just go in uh, in chronological order. So, Metropolitan Opera got some economic challenges. That's one way to put it. Yeah, it kind of i I don't know if you remember George, but I actually have a bachelor's degree in economics. Take it away, baby. Give me some stats. So, some of the problem with this is that uh, you can only cut efficient. You can only become more efficient so much in an in a, f- in a field that is so dependent on labor and union labor at that, which is really the most expensive type of labor yes, that yes, there is. Yes. So the, you can't really cut hours of things and you can't pay people fewer wages because they have the unions to protect them. Right. So it looks like he's trying to trim trim out people. It's not even fat. He's just trying to cut meat out in order to get a cheaper piece of steak. And... I, I feel for them. Me, you're making me hungry. But I'm sorry yeah. about that. 
But the uh, 21 of its 243 employees, I mean, that's a 10% cut. That's a that's going to be a huge blow to the support staff of the grand battleship of of American opera. So this is why I'm glad you're on the show now, because I can ask you this. So if General Motors cut 10% of its workforce, would that be a big deal? Or if, like, Google cut 10%? Or is it just because it's a performing arts administration? And not just any performing arts administration. This is America's biggest performing arts organization with a budget of almost $300 million last year. I would say that uh, that cuts like that are going to raise a red flag no matter where they are. That's a pretty big differential in, in terms of people yeah. uh, and in terms of desks in this case. But it could be anything. I'm, uh, and that's that's definitely scary. But who it who really knows what's next is, is the problem with stories yeah. like this. Yeah. So, okay. So if we tried to solve this problem here in the studio, you can't cut the unions. You can't reduce their pay. You can't get rid of union workers so you, you've got to go elsewhere right. to, to get rid of folks if you spend some time in the blogosphere what you're going to read about on this topic is that the positions that are being cut by and large are those which gelb when he took over at the met added so he is essentially this is what other people are saying is that he's essentially being punished by making those jobs what 10 years ago i think he's been at the met almost yeah, 10 years like now that. right uh, and he's now being punished and having to get rid of these very people that he added. Does does that add up? Does that make sense economically, or, or are we missing something here? I I don't know. It's the the blogosphere is, is I mean the the internet is really tricky to to sift out the gold from the from the dirt <laughs> and, and the best of things. And in the classical music world, there's a lot of big personalities out there. Yeah. yeah. And so you never know how things are gonna be. I, even giving the benefit of the doubt, things can be misconstrued, yeah. and there are sometimes some scores to settle that that creep into facts and figures like that. But it is tricky to get hard data on things like that because the public image is such an important part of cultivating donors and trying to make sure that everything looks stable. Yeah. Again, looking at other sources... It's possible that there's actually more like 50 people that are going to ultimately go from the Met. We've just seen the first 21 go, so there's another 29 remaining. There's been some talk about the people that have left tend to have been not senior positions, but older people. I'm not accusing the Met of ageism, but there is an interpretation when you look at the people who have gone that some of them have that in common. Age discrimination. Sacking people, firing people because of how old they are. Is this, is this going to solve the Mets' problems? What's the goal? They're trying to get down to $280 million. They're trying to get rid of $15 million. Yeah, I, I, it, I didn't actually realize that they were operating on a, on a deficit last year. But, and it, was, it wasn't a terribly large one, but that's just a dangerous road to go down, which we saw with company after company and. 2008 i mean mm-hmm. everyone there's the the new york city opera just kept yeah. raiding their endowment until there wasn't anything left and is that how a company can operate on a deficit just to go back to the economics of it a little bit because so that means that they've lost money but they've still been able to produce because they've had other reserves to draw from that i i can't actually speak with authority there <laughs> i assume that it has they have to get the money from somewhere in order yeah. to spend it yeah but it it's money over their budget more and it's 
Yes. And more than we, uh, yes. m- more than they wanted to spend or planned yes. on spending or even yes. took in. So, I mean, it's a two-part attack then, right? So you've got to reduce the budget, which what Gelb has decided to do is to cut out some of these non-union positions, and then it goes back to the second segment on the show, which is like, how are you going to get more butts in seats, basically? I guess it'll, we'll see what happens with their, with their marketing technique. I mean, I hope that that is, is able to appeal to people who maybe wouldn't have come to the Met otherwise. 67% does. The benefit of that is that there's, there's a lot of room for improvement, <laughs> I guess. But Moving on, I said this when Hurricane Harvey first hit, and I realized that it had really ruined the Opera House in Houston. I said, Everyone is going to have their own connection to this hurricane, whether you were in Houston or Florida or it's another hurricane in Puerto Rico. Everyone's going to have their own way in, their own personal connection. And just thinking about the damage to that building, to the machinery of that opera house, that was the thing that really moved me. You know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't about human loss. There was great human loss, and I'm not trying to downplay that. But if you know the machinery of an opera house how finely tuned that machine has to be. And have, seeing it ruined like that is, is dreadful. This will be interesting to see how HGO is going to do its first three operas. One of them is Giulio Cesare. I know that. Oh, it's also um, Traviata. And then the world premiere of Ricky Ian Gordon and Royce Vavrek's The House Without a Christmas Tree, doing them in a convention center. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, first things first, I want to congratulate Houston Grand Opera for making something work. It's always better, I would say, to have a season than to have to cancel it. So uh, I'm glad that we're talking about it as in terms of caveats to a solution instead mm-hmm. of a worst-case scenario yeah. type of thing. Yeah. But that is, I mean, it's just a completely different space. Yeah. How, do you, how do you have a backstage in a convention center? How do you have sound carry very well in a convention center? I, th- that, that was my question. They're, they're going to figure out the design just fine yeah you know those designers will will i mean they can't rebuild it some of these productions i don't know if uh, the world premiere obviously is a new production the, the seeing the photos of the cesare that's a that's a, a remount rental but the acoustics yeah i've auditioned in some in some ballrooms before which is kind of what i'm picturing this convention center looking like and you're it, you're imagining tough. like a concrete floor steel truss ceiling and like concrete walls, it sounds like it would be very what echoey. Yeah, uh, or even where I really hope that there's not carpet in there because that will the, those big thick convention center carpets, ballroom carpets, can really eat up the sound. And those back yeah. row seats are not going to be happy yeah. if that's the yeah. case. I mean, God love them for for plowing on the resilience theater name. I, I think that's a little pokey and a little cheesy. I think they kind of came up with it a little fast, but. Uh, it's impressive, to, to say the least, that they just didn't, um, you know, quit throwing the towel. Unlike Fort Worth Opera, God, this company has taken such a nosedive in the last year. After Darren K. Woods was let go by the board, you knew that things were going to go downhill. That company had moved to a festival format. They were doing great programming. They were very respected. They worked in tandem with other opera companies in the state of Texas, of which there are many. Woods was fired by the board, and now this, scrapping this uh, 
Rheingold that they were going to do in 2018. Yeah, what really jumped out to me when I was reading through this article for the first time was the difference in uh, length of evening that we're looking at here. Rheingold is a <laughs> is a two hour and forty five minute piece with no intermission, and now we're we're switching to three fifteen minute operas. That's we're barely out of the out of the prologue. Oh by my then. gosh, dude. <laughs> So funny. The operas are Avow by Mark Adamo, again by Jake Heggie, and Feel the Tango by FWO artistic director Joe Illick. I, for, I, I just think that's um, bogus, man, yeah. to like do your own, to get rid of Wagner and put your own piece on there. Look, I'm not saying it's cheap to do Rheingold. There is a, I'm sure there's a way to do it. You know, I could, I could do it with a single chair. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now, man. So don't blame me, the director, and don't blame my designers. The orchestra, you probably don't want to do an orchestral reduction. You want it to sound the way it's supposed to sound, but... At least we're not going into overtime. Yeah, that's for... <laughs> oh, man. Hey, um... If I could go to London, I would love to see this exhibit. I was I was making fun of the Victoria and Albert Museum earlier, but um, well, they were the museum that did the David Bowie exhibit a couple years ago. I didn't realize that about them. You hear it, and it kind of sounds like a fuddy-duddy sort of place. Can you? Is it? It's it's an awesome place. Really, it's an awesome place. Yeah, it's in a great part of great part of London. It, it's a beautiful collection. It's beautiful stuff there. Um, the David Bowie exhibit, which. I didn't see, admittedly, at the VNA. I saw it at the MCA here in Chicago. So beautifully done, so beautifully put together. This exhibit, first of all, Robert Carson, the opera director, was one of the artistic advisors, and he says, opera combines all the other art forms, and those are all art forms that you see represented in the VNA. Absolutely true. Quote, the VNA has a fantastic theater department. And this extensive and remarkable museum of clothing and costume, a wonderful collection of musical instruments, books, all the elements. So they have taken these seven cities. Yeah. London, Vienna, Paris, Dresden. I said seven. That was only... Uh, Moscow is in Moscow. there. Oh, yeah, yeah, to get uh, Shostakovich in there. I'm blanking on the other ones, though, I have well, to say. Well, uh, I'm not seeing one that's from America, I can tell you that. Maybe I'm missing it. Um... They did say that there's, there's a, either a glass or an Adams part of the exhibit. Oh, Maybe okay. that's supposed okay. to be yeah, Houston yeah, or New York. Fair enough. fair enough. Yeah. Well, um, it'd be fun to go. Yeah. I kind of like, I thought that this sort of got at what we were talking about earlier with the, the Met Voices article is that it is an intricate art form and there are so many parts to it. And I think that's why a lot of people are continually brought back to it is that there's drama, there's painting, there's dance, there's costume making. And I thought that this was an approachable and not gimmicky way to make that known to people. Like, it wasn't a flash mob. It wasn't Thank people you. sitting on the train. I hate that stuff, too. Dude. It just, it's so uncomfortable. Can we just agree right now, Cummings, that flash mob opera has jumped the shark? Yeah. And that I'm, you heard it here first? I'm not okay. a big fan. Great, go ahead. Just want to get that out. I, I would love to see this. I, I wonder if it's going to tour to these different cities. I hope so. I do feel like the... Uh, the copy for this article sort of writes itself. You can just picture Danielle Denise strolling along the museum with a headset just so nonchalantly balanced on her head, just oh, looking and listening and so classy and effortless. Dang, she's good looking. Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score.
Oh. Oh, the time goes fast. It time really goes does. fast, man. It really, it really does. does. Uh, great to have you on the show yeah, it's been again. Great to be back. Thank and you. For the next, the next few. Um, I don't think we're going to see you again until the end of the month, but then maybe around uh, back in November. Yes. We'll get sir. you uh, on. Hey, good call, bad call. What do you have, sir? Do you have a good call or a bad call for us? My good call is that I am uh, still a pretty avid recording collector. And uh, fall seems to be the time when people drop their their recital albums. So I know Jonas Kaufman has a new disc out. Uh, some of my other favorite singers like Michael Spires uh, and Regular Muamon, who was on the show mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. we, uh, a couple yeah. months ago, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Uh, the all, Mule. We just call her The Mule. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all albums that I really enjoyed listening to, and that's been, that's been fun. So I hope people will maybe check them out. Fantastic. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera while watching the new season of SNL. We're back next Monday at 9 Central when artists from Third Eye Theater Ensemble join us to talk about their upcoming production of the opera With Blood, With Ink. Argo Radio is up next. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment. You know.